Hello, this is Dr. Daniel Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the beautiful inland Pacific Northwest of the even more spectacular United States of America. Today is the 8th of October, 2020. We've been talking about the immune system and in particular its association with senescence and of that in particular is the senescence associated secretory phenotype of cells that can occur anywhere in the body that can induce via paracrine signaling through say gap junctions or long distance because of the secretion of pro-inflammatory cytokines, growth factors, etc. A process wherein DNA damage repair becomes a signaling device for other cells to be triggered to start generating transcriptomes and then proteomes and lipidomes that will become senescent cells, some of which will develop the phenotype called SASP or SASP, which means that they will become signaling cells that will induce the acquisition of senescence in other cells in that tissue system. For example, in the central nervous system or in the skeletal muscle system or a solid organ like a liver or a kidney or the cardiovascular system, I'm sure, or in the blood. So the senescence can happen uh, stochastically. That is, it can erupt somewhat randomly or pseudo-randomly, I might say. Uh, but then eventually, as the human ages and they get older and older, senescence starts becoming more of the norm rather than uh, the peculiar, unusual event, right? So we're going to continue on this discussion. And remember what I do here at Authentic Biochemistry is I explain to you what the scientific literature says, and I bring forward those papers that will give us uh, what I call an architectonic, that is a strong foundation for us to be able to realize the significance of senescence and aging and human morbidity and mortality. Ultimately, of course, that's the end of aging is the death of the human. And I want to do it again from only the scientific perspective, but by using fundamentals of logic, right? And one of the ways that we do that is generate, of course, good logical arguments. And I always like to start out with a dialectical analysis, right? So that's what we've been up to. And so I'm just going to jump right back in to the fray here by discussing this new paper. It's a paper that was published in International Immunopharmacology. Um, the volume on this is 62. It was published in September of 2018, so just about two years ago. Pages for this are 23 to 28. So what does this paper tell me? Well, again, I'm looking for associations of senescence and the immune system, and of course, all the biochemical pathways that may link the two. Now, that's really a subduction zone of a much more articulated uh, series of lectures that we've been doing, but it's good enough to start there. So this paper tells us chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, COPD, which is a, a major contributor to respiratory distress syndrome, which is a major morbidity in the elderly and which does actually have strong levels of association to ultimate mortality. 
So COPD associates with elevated morbidity and mortality. We always, that, that's straight out. It's a good place to start for this, uh, for a good premise. Studies in the past have demonstrated that the nod-like receptor family, purine domain containing three, that's the NLRP3 inflammasome, has been implicated in a range of chronic inflammatory diseases. Okay, so that's the second premise here. So as I'm doing this, I'm generating a dialectic. Now, you have to go back and listen to my earlier lectures on the NLRP3 inflammasome and its entire architecture, biochemistry, pathobiochemistry, pathophysiology. I'm not gonna do that here. If you wanna go back and listen to that, go back into my repertoire and authentic biochemistry or look at my video lectures, Authentic Biochemistry and Verif Med Lectures, and you will find several hours of discussion on the inflammasome. So I'm just jumping right into this because I want to do this paper. So the NLRP3 inflammasome consists of the protein, the NLRP3, right? caspase 1, which of course is a, which is a protease, and the system or the cell fate apoptosis associated speck-like protein also known as ASC so you got the NLRP3 you got caspase 1 and you've got the ASC all of that promotes the maturation of the pro-inflammatory cytokine interleukin 1 beta because remember that's proteolytically generated it's a very potent pro-inflammatory cytokine so Recently, there have been several studies that have shown that the NLRP3 inflammasome and IL-1-beta are involved in airway inflammation. So that means that the NLRP3 inflammasome and the IL-1-beta have been, of course, a target for those who studied COPD pathway, right? Okay. Now, we've been talking about the pineal um, endocrine hormone known as melatonin. Remember, that is synthesized from serotonin, which has its, its ultimate precursor, L-tryptophan, which comes from the shikimic acid pathway, which humans don't have. And that's why you need to take in uh, L-tryptophan and phenylalanine in the diet. Those are essential amino acids, right? Okay. So melatonin is synthesized from tryptophan, right? Melatonin, as we have said, is known to obtain anti-inflammation, anti-oxidation, anti-apoptosis, immunomodulatory, and even anti-tumor activity. So with all that in mind, and this is all from published literature, and we talked some about this last time, this paper says it's been hypothesized that melatonin might be a good compound to look at, a good hormone to look at that might prevent or diminish COPD. So we also talked about the deacetylases, the CIRTs. And remember that the SIRTs are named for silent information regulatory. Okay. Uh, and this is sil silent information regulatory protein one or CERT one. Remember those are deacetylases that require nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide in its oxidized form, the NAD plus form. And basically it's 
the the largest signature of it in the literature is that these insert one is an NAD dependent histone deacetylase, which seems to regulate senescence and even stress resistance. Okay. Now remember, if you deacetylate a histone on a lysine residue on histones, what that does is that collapses the chromatin. And when you collapse the chromatin, you decrease global transcription. Okay, it doesn't mean that no transcription occurs. It just means you diminish it. Some particular proteins, uh, that is transcripts and then proteins, are expressed at high levels after heterochromatin uh, production because of uh, the deacetylation of those systems, collapsing the chromatin. So it favors the expression of some genes but it knocks down the expression of your of a repertoire of what might be called housekeeping genes, ones that are keeping normal physiological functions going. So that's what certain ones do when they deacetylate. Okay. Now it's interesting that this cert one acting as this deacetylase seems to regulate senescence, right? But it's not so surprising to me because you got to figure the senescence is going to be not business as usual when it comes to biochemical pathways. Right, senescence is slowing things down, bringing things ultimately to a halt. What's being halted? Cell division, and then that as this as these cells senesce, they no longer divide. Many of them will generate a senescence-associated secretory phenotype, the SASP, right? Which I told you is a hallmark for cells to start delivering senescence throughout the system, ultimately leading to senescence of the human body, morbidity sometimes associated with it, but ultimately the final um, blow to mortality, the, 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 the end of the living system. Okay. It's a lot to keep in mind, but I know that you can do it because you can play these back and forward many times. And because you're people that listen to authentic biochemistry, so you're already really smart people. All right. So CERT1 exerts an anti-inflammatory effect because it suppresses the NLRP3 inflammasome, okay? So that's the mode of action of the CERT1 here within discussion of senescence within human studies. So it suppresses NLRP3 inflammasome. It also suppresses interleukin-1-beta uh, production, which I told you is a really powerful pro-inflammatory cytokine, which is associated with the inflammasome. So... CERT1 was decreased, okay? So this has been shown in the literature. So you see CERT1 expression is lower in COPD patients, okay? Plus CERT1 stimulation seems to inhibit COPD inflammation. Now this is of course done in some animal models as well. So since melatonin, now I'm, I'm gonna connect it now, Melatonin promotes transcription because remember it's a hormone. Melatonin is a basically a paracrine hormone and an endocrine hormone because it comes from the pineal gland. And since it's strict you by definition, that means it's an endocrine hormone because it comes from a gland and it's worked in the periphery. That, that's what we call an endocrine hormone. Since melatonin promotes transcription of CERT1, it's important perhaps to determine whether melatonin itself attenuates airway inflammation in a CERT1 dependent manner by inhibiting 
the NLRP3 inflammasome and interleukin-1 beta production. Okay, that's how biochemists think, right? It's a nice linear way of understanding this. So let's continue. Same paper, we're still talking about the same paper. Airway inflammation is reported to play an important role in the development of COPD. Okay, that's clear. Airway inflammation in the lungs, right? In the lung epithelia. So these people in this paper, the International Immunopharmacology paper published in September 2018, I told you in volume 62, they went on to investigate the effect of melatonin on airway inflammation in COPD. And they met, the way they did it, they measured total inflammatory cell count. Okay? And they looked at the percentage of neutrophils and the concentration of IL-1 beta. Okay, So this is all how it's done. So remember that neutrophils, remember when I told you a while back that neutrophils were associated with one of the um, presentations that you see in high morbidity COVID-19 patients that are uh, in the hospital. Usually they're in the ICU because I told you that there are neutrophil extracellular traps, these nets that are generated in lung epithelia, some of those patients. And I told you that, that when that occurs, right, when that occurs, uh, that can lead to even higher levels of morbidity and can actually stop uh, normal breathing. And ultimately, even with a, with a ventilator, those people could die, right? So that's why this is this, this links back to this virus, right? This pandemic virus. But it also generally just talks about airway passage diseases. And that means COPD, ARDS, acquired respiratory distress syndrome, and then just the plain old frank presentation of respiratory distress, right? Which I told you is a hallmark of aging, right? Remember, older people who get this virus are the ones that are most likely to get really sick. So see how that all comes together. Now, this literature isn't thinking about that. This literature was published a couple of years ago, right? But that's okay with me because what I'm trying to do is piece together what this literature is telling us, that it can inform us about aging. We're not here talking about that virus, but uh, we could be, right? We could be. So again, they're measuring now percentage of neutrophils, concentration of interleukin-1 beta, really important pro-inflammatory cytokine. And they're looking at this in bronchial alveolar lavage fluid, okay? Because that's where you find the phenotype, right? The, the, the pathophysiology when you're studying interstitial lung diseases, such as COPD, okay? And we, we call the bronchial alveolar lavage fluid valve, or BALF. I think most of you in the medical community know that. So the total inflammatory cells, the percentage of neutrophils, and the concentration of interleukin-1 beta in BALF were indeed significantly increased in COPD group as compared with the control group. Treatment with melatonin, here we go, significantly decreased the inflammatory cells, those would be the neutrophils, the percentage of those neutrophils, the percent of them compared to all other innate immune cells that show up at this infection site or this inflammation site, and the concentration of interleukin-1-beta in the BALF as all compared with the COPD group. So melatonin treatment, decreased inflammatory cells, 
that's in total. That, so it'd be PAC cell volume, the percentage specifically of neutrophils that show up and the concentration of one of the key players here in a lupin one beta, all of that in the BALF, the melatonin did that as compared to people who did not get melatonin within the COPD group. So the effects conferred by melatonin were abolished by using a CERT1 inhibitor. And they just use this inhibitor, which has a chemical signature called EX527. We don't need to know how that inhibitor works. I actually know how it works, but you don't need to know for, the, for this discussion. So what this data suggests or indicates is that melatonin, so far, it looks like, attenuates airway inflammation with CO, in an animal model. This is done in an animal model first. In, it was a rat model with COPD via cert one dependent inhibition of the neuleukin one beta. Okay, so that's how you put this together. That's all using the dialectic and coming up, coming up with a conclusion. That's why I call this is a dialectical analysis, right? It's the way science is supposed to work. Now, let's continue on. CERT1 is regarded then as a therapeutic target for COPD. So they wanted to know whether or not that melatonin really altered the expression of CERT1 in COPD. So they measured the protein level of CERT1 in the lung tissue. So they're looking at the protein level of that deacetylase, right? What they shown is that showed in this paper. I'm sorry. Uh, I mean to say, in this paper, what they showed was that the protein expression, okay, of CERT1 was significantly decreased in the COPD group as compared with the control. But when they treated with melatonin, they significantly increased the amount of CERT1 polypeptide protein. That means it was transcribed and translated, presumably, right? Because you don't store messenger RNA, right? And that's, again, compared with COPD. And it also makes sense because melatonin is a hormone. So hormones are normally not involved in, say, translation only, or certainly not in post-translational modifications, because they're looking here finally at the production of the polypeptides. So it's most likely it's a transcriptional control, right? That's how most hormones function. So maybe, okay, we don't know that that's the case, but I'm just giving you that as a, for example, that's what we know about just understanding hormones. Now, in addition, Treatment with a CERT1 inhibitor, remember, abolished that CERT1. Okay, what they found was it abolished its activity. And they're saying that that somehow is associated with melatonin. Now, see, now this is where it gets a little bit difficult to follow what they're trying to do here. Because they're not biochemists, right? These people are probably clinicians, and they're probably working with maybe an immunologist, right? and a pulmonologist, and they're doing rat studies, right? So their data then, they say, indicates that melatonin, when they added it, increased certain one expression, they use that word, what they mean is protein accumulation in the lung tissues of the rats with the COPD. But now wait a minute. The inhibition of the deacetylase downstream from its expression Okay, because that's what the, the inhibitor does. It's going to inhibit the enzymatic activity, not the expression of the gene. It's not a transcriptional level. However, it looks like melatonin should be functioning that way. So unless melatonin is inducing the deacetylase activity, 
So that would mean it's functioning at a different level. It means melatonin is actually activating the protein. And once you get the deacetylation, whatever that ends up doing then seems to diminish the COPD as we, by, by looking at the readout, and the readout, remember, is neutrophils and total amount of innate cells, cell pack volume. So, so they're saying inhibition of deacetylate downstream of its expression. So this experiment really doesn't confirm the central premise, right? Going back to the dialectical analysis, that melatonin induces CERT1, right? Because that would mean that melatonin is inducing what? Either CERT1 translation, because they're saying more protein showed up, or somehow the activation of CERT1 increases its abundance, okay? Over time, time of the experiment. Now that's possible. Maybe once it's activated, it's put in a different subcellular compartment, or maybe it's this deacetylation of the protein itself, right? Of some protein that melatonin is inducing CERT1 to act on. You see how that works? But they didn't show that. And so what they're trying to conclude from this paper is more than what the evidence allows. So what do we call that when is it, when, in logic? We call that a paralogism. It goes beyond what the premises allow, right? So you're inserting, right? You're, you're asking us to in, make an incursion with our premises, with the evidence we've generated to come up with a conclusion that isn't as sound uh, or valid than what I would agree with. Now, if, I had, if I had reviewed this paper, that's what I probably would have said. And I've looked at the data and the, the data does not demonstrate that melatonin has an effect translationally or post-translationally because using that inhibitor isn't, isn't using the same associated structure of regulation that you would need to do because inhibiting activity of the enzyme is not the same as controlling boards translation or transcription and translation, which you would think the melatonin would have more of an association with. You understand. Yeah. It's a logical error, but still important data. Now let's go back a few years before this paper was published. This is the National Journal of Molecular Sciences, 2014. This is volume 15. And the pages on this are 16848 to 16884. Okay. Now, what does this paper talk about? It just, just go back and think about what melatonin does. Melatonin has a positive influence, remember, on circadian rhythm. That's the clock genes. Remember those genes we talked about? The, well, I didn't tell you about the PER1, the PER2. I did tell you about, I think, the NAMPT clock gene. But, but melatonin has a positive influence on the expression of the circadian rhythm via those expression of those genes. Melatonin also has an effect, of course, we know, and this 2014 paper was describing it, it was a review article, on the epigenetic changes, which includes what? Sirtuins. Remember, sirtuins are agents of epigenetics, right? Why? Because they're altering the expression of genes by altering the acetylome, right? Because they're deacetylating. So that's a, an epigenetic phenomenon, right? Of course it is. And also, melatonin has an effect on FOXO. And FOXO also works indirectly epigenetically. Right? Now, that's not all that melatonin does. Now, melatonin, if you look at the literature, melatonin also has an effect on autophagy. 
because it controls mTOR activity and also the ATG pathway. We talked about this last time. Remember, mTOR is kind of a global, um, oh, you know, all hands on deck, open cell, fully bioenergetically active system, right? A lot of protein translation, a lot of membrane lipogenesis, um, getting ready during a cell cycle phase of doing, doing a division. So melatonin controls that and is positive to it. Melatonin also has an effect on, on, on overall bioenergetics. Okay? So it works through the insulin receptor, the IGF-1, right? And also the phosphatidylinositol 1,3 kinase, this kinase pathways. So melatonin is a, is a plenum of activity. So which of those activities was going on here? Well, we know that certain one seems to be linked, but at what level, right? You see all these other circadian rhythms can affect certain one that was from last lecture. Autophagy and all the regulation of that through mTOR can control uh, even CERT1, but certainly lots of other proteins that could indirectly affect deacetylation and acetylone patterning. And then energy metabolism too, right? Which is go goes back to link, link up to autophagy, right? So this paper tries to tell us, this review paper tells us that normal central nervous system aging is the result of normal melatonin expression. And that, that this paper is trying to say that maybe that's linked to healthy longevity, right? And that's because it appears that when melatonin is high, the senescence patterning is stabilized and low, and you get then an inhibition of neuropathological aging. What's one of the hallmarks of neuropathological aging? What's the one of the readouts? That's correct, neurodegeneration, as in Alzheimer's disease. So the effects of melatonin in the immune system can, of course, be either pro or anti-inflammatory. All right, now that's important for us to keep in mind, right? And we've talked about this at great length. And I don't want to, I don't want to have you lose that in your, in your memory. Melatonin has been associated with the immune system. And that's through that interleukin-1 beta pathway I just told you about, the proteolytic maturation and the whole inflammasome thing. The NLRP3-1 inflammasome is also regulated. It appears by this melatonin. So the valence toward immune stimulation is not clear just because melatonin shows up. So it can be immunosuppressive. It can also be immunostimulatory. So the influence of melatonin CERT1 then is suspect and interesting, right? Because the influence of melatonin CERT1 expression has been revealed to affect um, contrarian regulation. And it's evident when you look at the literature and look at tumor versus non-tumor cell lineages. So melatonin has a different effect on tumor cells than it does on same cells that are not yet turned on via oncogenesis. So while being strongly suppressive in cancer, melatonin mainly stimulated CERT1 in non-transformed cells, especially in the context of aging. And that's what we just covered, okay? However, CERT1 expression is distinct from its biological activity. And I brought that up when we were talking about the CERT family. 
Now, you don't, you can't be compelled to remember that, but that's all part of the lectures I was giving back in the summer. We're talking about sirtuins and deacetylation, the family that certs one through five, right? Not all of those sirtuins function as deacetylases. And even when they do, it doesn't mean that deacetylating histones, meaning causing a, an eruption of chromatin remodeling, allowing for global transcription or lack thereof. Right? You see what I'm saying? We're almost, we have to, we have to finish. Let me just make a couple more points here. Sirtuin activities are not primarily determined, therefore, by their protein level. And this is another thing that I found in the literature. It's more important to look at the level of NAD that's available. Okay. And that means you have to look at the activity of nicotinamide phosphoribosyl transferase, NAMPT. And that's for next time. So we're going to stop here. Hopefully that was interesting and fun. And we're going to pick up on this very soon, sometime later this week. Uh, and move on so that you get a better understanding of these intriguing deacetylase proteins, sirtuins, right? So this is Dr. Dan Guerra from Authentic Biochemistry on the 8th of October, 2020, saying bye for now.